I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. Alex Mifsud, Chief Executive Officer and founder of embedded finance firm Weaver, has been busy. Signing a partnership with payments giant Visa to accelerate the implementation of embedded finance solutions. He's also acquired open banking provider Comma and most recently launched a white label version of Weaver's proprietary embedded finance tech stack, packaged specifically for banks and other financial institutions. And that's where we begin. But first, do you want to access the $10 billion Middle East fintech opportunity? If the answer is yes, then join the CEDA IBSI Fintech Lab and fast track your journey of market expansion to the GCC with us. As a Fintech Lab member, you'll have access to skilled mentors and have the opportunity to learn, network, and collaborate with like-minded individuals, building your knowledge base, skills, and connections. Visit www.cedaribsifintechlab.com. Now, back to our conversation with Alex Mifsud, CEO and founder of Weaver. And we begin with the background to Weaver's new white-label offering. We've been really building from the ground up a uh, technology stack for embedded finance for the best part of you know four, four years within the Weaver business. And we've deployed it in the last two and a half years. We've realized that there are certainly certain repetitive themes that solve for specific problems. And we also realize that these are not just our problems, but they're the problems of anyone looking to do embedded finance. And generally, these problems match to risks. So there's a whole range of gotchas, if you like, that you have to solve for in, in the real world. And our experience in the last you know, two and a half going on to three years of real practice, getting these programs to market through, through the whole life cycle, selling them, deploying them, supporting them, and sometimes winding them down as well when they go wrong, you know, really created these challenges which we have built solutions for. And now that we have, we've packaged this, this set of solutions in, into, a, into basically um, an offering that, or a platform that a financial institutions could take to really accelerate their path into embedded finance. And we thought we'd call it something very simple. And uh, basically, an embedded finance cloud felt like, uh, like the right way to describe it. It's all cloud-based, of course. It's a platform as a service. And, and it comes with a whole range of capabilities that you deploy as you need to build your embedded finance capability if you are a financial institution. This is a service that you're offering to financial institutions and banks that they would then offer product on to corporates, to e-commerce companies and the like. That's right. And, and the most distinctive feature of it is that unlike the way embedded finance has been done to date, which is typically true things like banking as a service, for example, or even open banking, this creates a, a new construct at the heart of it, which is best described as an embeddable financial product. In other words, rather than providing low-level APIs to issue cards or onboard customers or open accounts, this invites the financial institution to think about a product that is designed to be embeddable from the get-go. So you might think about how do I design a current account that from the get-go is aimed at being embedded into some sort of consumer platform maybe? Or how do you design a lending product, maybe a leasing product that is designed for retail brands to be able to offer for high-value items like cars, for example? 
And by thinking about these as products that are designed to be embeddable, then it really starts to answer a lot of questions for financial institutions. Who is it aimed for? How should it be priced? What are the rules for eligibility? What are the key risks associated with, with this? What does good behavior look like? What does bad behavior look like? And once you do that, then it becomes much easier for embedders to follow the rules, if you like, to join the dots and get the embedding to work. And it becomes much easier for banks to oversee the risks that come with embedded finance. At the core of this embedded finance cloud is this new construct of embeddable financial product, which we believe will, will greatly accelerate the adoption of embedded finance, both on the embedder community by making it simpler for them, but also by financial institutions by making it safer for them to get involved in, in embedded finance. You're in a partnership with Visa as well. Is this separate to the development of the embedded finance cloud or is it all part of the same thrust? Well, it's it's all of a piece, right? The reason we, we, we developed this partnership with Visa is because Visa has a lot of very attractive capabilities, enabling a, a whole bunch of financial services. Of course, you know, card issuance, but Visa goes beyond card issuance now. They have services like Visa Direct, which deal with international transfers and transfers to individual cards. They have acquired a number of businesses themselves, like Currency Cloud and Tink. So they have all these assets. And if you can think about putting all these assets into the service of constructing these embeddable financial products, then you can start to see the logic for the partnership with Visa. Now, that has two sides to it, both in terms of going to financial institutions who are Visa members who want to deploy those products that Visa uh, and those assets that Visa has, but want to offer them in the form of embeddable financial products. But on the other side also, you also have the world of embedders. These would be large enterprise businesses, typically large enterprise software businesses or, or digital businesses, where Visa and Weaver can join together to offer these embeddable financial products to these, to these businesses. And these could be in any sector, in health, education, logistics, real estate, all of these are ripe sectors for the uh, adoption of embedded finance. So together with Visa, we have better access. And we're also able to bring the brand of Visa and the, and the heft of Visa to really service some of these, these large global brands. So this is going to mean a significant change to the way business works. It's also going to mean a change to the way financial institutions work, because this is the disintermediation of the financial institution because that brand will not necessarily be known by the ultimate end customer because they will be dealing with their retail or their wholesale brand or whatever it is. And within that brand, the products will be embedded and they'll be embedded under that brand's name, won't they? I think the question of, of what is the place of the banking brand in embedded finance is actually a question we should be asking rather than just jumping to the conclusion. Yes, at one end of the scale, you can have invisible banking. You know, when you buy your car, who cares who, pro who is providing you with the car finance because it all comes into a package maybe. But maybe you should care. And maybe the, the, the financial brand will give you the confidence that what you're buying is also associated with a financial institution that you're familiar with. And if things go wrong, you have, you know, you know who to, to get recourse from. So I wouldn't like to suggest that embedded finance will only ever evolve in a way where the bank is invisible and has no relationship with the end customer. I think there are so many more options that we have yet to explore. In fact, if you think about it from the bank side, 
you know, the bank can use embedded finance to acquire many new customers that they wouldn't normally acquire. Maybe their brand isn't resonating with certain segments, maybe maybe with small businesses or with certain segments of uh, of consumers. Embedded finance can open the door to customer acquisition simply by bringing a, bringing more relevance of, the, of that financial service that they want to be selling, a, a lending product, an international transfer product, a card product making it more relevant to a particular customer community that typically they wouldn't resonate with. It also gives them an ability to service that customer community much more efficiently through, through the embedded context. Now, there's a question whether you know the, the, the brand of the bank is part of that marketing, if you like, or part of that visibility when, when there is customer service delivery. I mean, the bank is always going to be in the terms and conditions somewhere, right? So the extent to which the bank is visible, I think, is what we're discussing here. I, I really think there is a place for banking brands. And the reason I say that is because one of the most important currencies in commerce and embedded finances is really a heightened form of commerce, is trust. Now, when you have a, a very established brand where customers implicitly trust that brand more than anything, perhaps the brand of the bank isn't so important. But there is, of course, always a range of different levels of trust that, that customers, be they consumers or business customers, would have in a software business. And having the bank's brand alongside can actually enhance that trust. I would say so. I wouldn't. I would not take that as a um, take this intermediation as the only possible outcome of embedded finance. There are many more other options. Okay, we'll explore some of those perhaps another time. But there is one topic I want to come on to with you. That's the status of the fintech marketplace itself. One of the things that I've been talking to people about for several months now is the increasing level of merger and acquisition activity that's going on in fintech. And it's not just a case of big established banks buying bolt-ons. Yes, they're doing that. But there is also a very clear trend within the fintech space, first of all, for partnerships between companies, and secondly, for mergers, and thirdly, for acquisitions. And I'm building up to saying, but, comma, this is an acquisition that Weaver recently did, the open banking specialist provider, Comma. What was the reason behind that acquisition? Let me talk generically about the environment first and then specifically about the Comma uh, acquisition. There is a reality check for, for fintech, right? For a number of years um, and, and which sort of peaked during the, the pandemic. There was this sense that we were that there was a new world order in the making, which is driven by nimble digital, you know, di nimble digital businesses, digital first, um, you know, businesses that are tackling financial services differently from from banks that saw digital at best as a distribution channel. At some point, there is always a reality check. You know, has the value that was promised been realized? And from the experiences of customers of these businesses and the value they are getting, what does that tell us about the future ahead? Will they replace banks? Will they, you know, basically be co-opted by banks? And these questions have come to a head in the last 12 months, and they've come in the most visceral way possible when it comes to investors' willingness to continue financing these fintechs. And so the world has changed, I think, in the sense of standing up and being counted uh, in terms of who has a proven business model 
that can continue to deliver the uh, returns that investors expect. And that's quite a high bar because now it's it's having five having you know five out of the ten pieces you need to be successful isn't good enough. And what will happen is there will be many perfectly you know successful experiments at bringing new value to the world that don't quite make it to a full viable, scalable, monetizable business model. And what that means is there will be always three three buckets, right? There will be companies that fail outright. So because simply they have not proven enough value to earn the right to, to exist, if you like. There will be companies whose business model is proven, and in which case they will attract capital to scale and to really uh, you know, change, change the world. And there will be ones in between that have created some value. And those companies deserve to be part of something bigger that together will make those viable business models. This is the process we're going through now. So there are many, many opportunities for both mergers and outright acquisitions. And whoever is in in the fintech business today should be thinking, first, they should be thinking, has my experiment delivered any value? Because if it hasn't, it's probably not going to be viable. And, And, you know, I think that is what it is. There will be some, and most will say, this is the value I have delivered. Who could it be valuable to? And they would be, um, I think, well advised to be looking for opportunities to to add what they have built into something bigger and and ultimately more viable. And then there will be a number that have either the momentum or the confidence or simply the financial backing to be able to absorb all of those pieces together. And at Weaver, we're a very young company, so normally you would not expect um, a company which only launched just over 30 months ago to be doing this kind of activity in M&A. However, um, one, we have had very significant momentum even in the last um, couple of years. Despite the downturn, we continue to sell larger and larger deals to ever larger companies that see the potential for embedded finance. So I think the momentum is with us. The second thing is we were lucky, perhaps foresighted, foresighted to raise uh, quite a substantial amount of capital when the market was at its peak. And that means we have a war chest that allows us to do and to finance these acquisitions. And lastly, I think we have a, I think we have a map for what good looks like. And that's very important when you're doing M&A, because it's not just about rescuing businesses that can't get funded or having a basically just the ability to, to, to simply acquire businesses. You actually have to have a map of how these things fit together into something that ultimately is coherent and creates outside value. Now, Comma, if I get back to Comma, really solved a very, very important problem that very few people outside the industry are aware of. And that is, how do you use open banking to be able to do bulk payments? Now, that might sound very esoteric until you realize that for most businesses, the bulk of spend of businesses is actually in bulk payments. In other words, when you're doing payroll, you're not doing a a payment one by one for every employee. When you're doing your accounts payable, you're not doing payments one by one to your suppliers. So... If you take about 90 to 95% of business spend, it actually goes through a bulk payment process. Yet, open banking doesn't cater for that. So all of the promise of using open banking to pay your suppliers through your accounting system fall apart when you realize you cannot actually do a bulk payment using open banking. You have to do that one by one, in which case you don't bother, right? You forget about embedded finance and open banking, and you extract the file, and you go to your bank portal, and you do it. 
how am I solved for that? And that's an, uh, that's an incredibly valuable uh, solution to the industry. Between solving for a real problem that gives a lot of utility and being able to monetize it, there's a jump. And come aware on that journey to do it. We have a way to monetize because that's, you know, from the get-go, we've started with offering higher value financial services. So bringing the two together becomes really powerful. We're solving a real problem for real customers, but we also have a way to monetize it and scale it. So that's that was the logic behind the comedy. And, and the, you know, the comma team are incredibly passionate about the problems they have solved, incredibly capable at delivering what they have delivered. And we're so lucky to have them as part of the organization to really ultimately deliver outsized value to customers. Alex Mifsud, Chief Executive Officer and Founder of Weaver, thank you very much.